somehow I just decided like I need to try to be happy as possible or just like kind of move forward in my life in the as best as I'm able to and I feel like it's been working pretty well somehow I don't know I don't really know like nothing really changed but somehow I just decided <laughs> like I'm just gonna try and not to be like so <laughs> upset or something yeah then there's yeah there's a really thin line between being upset about whatever everything that's going on and then just uh, being miserable and not being able to change that that's, yeah that thin line is like sometimes can be justable just uh, can be justified because of everything that's happening but sometimes then it's just a personal decision yeah i mean i'm really upset and i mean in certain ways but somehow like i feel like in my own personal space or in my own time that i have to myself i'm trying to like use it productively or i don't know to not like i don't feel as lonely even though i still don't see that many people somehow like and maybe the podcast even is part of that but um yeah um i mean actually i was thinking maybe this is a good segue into your work um <laughs> i feel like like well i love the new work i love this show you made and um Thanks. the the wait what's it called um self-doll and breath space <laughs> hmm. um and i felt like yeah like this idea of finding a way to connect in a like disembodied way um and kind of like i feel like it's really it's really generous work and um i don't know um like i feel like it you you like i was watching the kind of intro video and like you're literally la asking all these kind of philosophical questions like and I feel like that seems like an ongoing part of your work to like ask questions through it. Um, and yeah, I, I yeah. think that that somehow like during the the first mo uh, months of lockdown, I it made a lot of sense to have this kind of um, kind of walkie-talkie of myself and something that I could just send send uh, send to a different place and just be able to talk through it and even though it looked perhaps kind of creepy or strange at first then i think that at the exhibition they they became kind of emotionally connected with it much more that they i think that they expected yeah and uh, but even before the exhibition i used I used uh, self doll a lot to talk with my mom the first two months of lockdown that they were kind of super scary and strange. So. Wow, I didn't, that's really cool. So you sent a doll to your mom and you could talk to her through it? Um, actually, I, I made the first self doll uh, before lockdown because oh. I wanted to have like a, a way of being there during the exhibition uh, and because um, I was just 
like all the exhibitions, it's just like perhaps going there, installing, and then going back to my house and then kind of remotely see what's going on. But mm -hmm. in this exhibition, I was like, no, I think there might must be a way of like trying to create some solo, sort of uh, telephone, perhaps with the audience or an element that I can be always there. And mm -hmm. so I did the first self-doll before the pandemic started. Oh. And then it started and I took the doll to my house and I used it to talk with my mom because I just, because technically it's just a, it's just a doll that you slide your phone inside on oh. the back of the head. So you just put a speaker mode and then as simple or stupid as it sounds, after a while, you really feel like the voice of the person has a body. Mm -hmm. That you can just move the voice around or you can talk closer or further away. So I used it to talk with many people during the first two months of the lockdown. Mm, that's amazing. So you were, you the the doll was being kind of puppeted by other people in your life not by you to them uh, yeah exactly um i think like mm -hmm. the first it's yeah it's kind of like a providing the voice of the person to take over the puppet no mm -hmm. um but it has a kind of like the scale of a four-year-old child Mm -hmm. So there's something kind of tender in the way that you that it occupies like a chair or mm. or uh, sits on top of a I don't know furniture or or the bed. There's something um, that there's something cute about the scale that is not um, I don't know. There's something strange about talking to a doll, <laughs> but uh, somehow it works. And um, but then. When the show was moved, canceled uh, in April and moved to October, then I shipped self doll to the exhibition. Mm -hmm. So I would just have someone put uh, like in speaker mode their phone and slide it in, and I would be there during the weekends talking to visitors. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you would just like randomly kind of be like, hey, what's up, or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't want to have a schedule I because I didn't feel like it was nice to also to make like a calendar out of the yeah the the moment of just like becoming the doll yeah um, so but mostly on Saturdays mm -hmm. was the moment where I felt it was nice to have breakfast and put my headphones on and like lay down Mm -hmm. and be self-love for three hours yeah what kind of um what like I, I listened to this video with people asking questions was that from those sessions or were those like separate uh that was a separate idea because at uh, one point I was asked like how how do you think that the public program of the exhibition should work in the current conditions so I was watching a lot of videos about this um, monk that replies questions. Mm. Um, and I really liked the way he, he, he transformed like really simple questions into something very profound. 
-hmm. and the pace of the whole videos. So I thought like, why don't, why don't we create like a, almost like a TV show dedicated to self though. Yeah. So that people can ask questions, but so we don't have like a, I didn't want like a scientist to be a part of the public program. And I didn't want the Zoom, the Zoom aesthetics to be a part, a part of the, I wanted it to be an artwork also. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I, I didn't, I watched the first one and I really enjoyed it. Like, I feel like you, oh. you seem like, like, I don't, I'm curious if like, like in the video, I feel like you do kind of take on this kind of oracle-like quality or something. Like I was thinking mm -hmm. about monks actually, and like uh -huh. someone asked you the color, why it's orange. And I feel like it's kind of the color of a monk's robe actually. And yeah, that was um, the kind of thing that happens that it feels as if it was unintentional then it makes sense perhaps six months later because when mm -hmm. I was doing it, I wasn't having that in mind. And I was not watching those monk videos when I was creating self doll as an orange. Yeah. Do you, do you happen to remember the name of the monk? I'm just curious if I, because I watch those kind of videos. Um, <laughs> I can't remember his name, but it's called what he explains and teaches is uh, it's called Advaita Vedanta, that it's kind of like a similar thing that from Buddhism, but that in the end is more about that your ultimate self is a state of pure consciousness and it's timeless and immortal, yeah. but it's not connected to, it's very, it departs from the same point of departure as Buddhism and then it opens to to another in another direction yeah i yeah atma I, boda that's the name sorry of the oh it's called atma boda the uh, the temple oh. and the, i don't think i know that one but i like have you ever listened to Thich Nhat Hanh, um vietnamese monk um and he's like really yeah. into this idea of like interbeing and how we're all connected in different ways. And I mean, I think a lot of it overlaps and anyway, but like, yeah, I mean, I think that spirit really comes through in the work and actually in a lot of your work. Like I think the fact that this little creature is so like artificial looking too, I think is really interesting, like in a way, it kind of shows that this container is kind of like not, it's not the thing, it's not the, 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 the real person or something, you know? Like we know mm -hmm. it's a puppet, it's not like trying to look like a real person. Yeah, I'm, I think that if you, it's that when you're not communicating with someone, then it becomes like, really like just a puppet, like a teddy bear that you have in your house. There's something nice that that kind of un uncanny valley concept does not apply to it. And then it's just, it's what it is, just like a stuffed mm -hmm. uh, teddy bear somehow. So there's no, no tricks. Yeah. 
but it's also like like it's a little bit funny too like I like thought about it like it doesn't seem like I feel like you do this really profound work but there's often like a kind of like funny side to it which I think is nice like I feel like there's a lot of like kind of like I don't know if you identify with this but like social practice I feel like could potentially be a word that people use around your work but like I feel like often that kind of work can be like overly serious or even kind of pompous or something and I feel like there's this Mm. kind of like I don't know openness and like I don't know like often a little bit of humor kind of yeah no I think it well I use myself as a guinea pig if I feel that I can if I feel that I cannot connect to what I'm proposing in a very simple way, perhaps on a humorous way. I think, no, I think humor has a, it's kind of like a really, really simple way to perhaps trust a mm. uh, proposal. And then after you, after the initial humor kind of fades out, then there's something that is sometimes even, even dramatic. Cause I think like self though can be, look uh, funny but in the end there's like a real necessity of like being there at the show and and people like being able to touch someone even though if it's a doll with a voice so yeah so people can kind of like hug it or do it like physically interact yeah Yeah. I when I I tell them like hey you can feel free to lift me and walk around the exhibition ask me asking me questions you can hold me like that's so sweet. <laughs> it reminds me, like, do you know that Joseph Boy's piece where it's like, I think it's called How to Explain Art to a Dead Rabbit, and he's like carrying a mm. dead rabbit around, like, <laughs> yeah. But, but it does really create a sense of intimacy that I think a lot of people are missing and may not, may often not really. Like, I don't feel like a lot of art has that level of intimacy, basically. Mm, I feel like there's always this uh, kind of distance between what you see and who created it. But at the same time, there's always this necessity of, like, explaining through who created it. And so, but I feel like there was kind of this lack of communion between those two instances. and. Uh, yeah, no, I had people tell me like uh, when I was uh, speaking through self, so like, hey, I can't believe that you are the artist and I'm talking to you. This is very uh, funny or cute or weird or <laughs> thank you. I'm glad that I I came to see the exhibition. I met the artist. Mm. So there's a lot of different reactions that really create that kind of like a, sh- like a, I don't know, like a, and something that no one was expected yeah I mean it seems very prophetic like like you said you had the idea before the pandemic but it seems like that one of those things where yeah it like could take on even more significance because of that kind of loneliness or whatever before the I I went to Japan in January to visit a to 
to meet the president of the Robotics Society in Japan because they are working on cognition, artificial cognition and um, they're creating these kind of, uh, I don't know, humanoids uh -oh. that they're, uh, they have um, the body of a child because uh -huh. they, they show, they, um, they teach them to grab a glass of water, for example, by moving their body. So there's something about the physical cognition and uh, and I was there and I met their baby humanoid called Afeto, and it's like a I don't I think like a two year old or baby that's completely mm -hmm. artificial, and it was very very inspiring to meet the people behind those projects because they were not scared of anything. Mm. They didn't have this kind of like morality in their head about replacing humans. Mm -hmm. They were really like, really experimental about what they were doing. What and do you think like the, why do you think they chose to make like children? Like what, what did, so they maybe didn't even know why, what the purpose would be or whatever. They just were trying to see what would happen. Is that? Uh, well, they were trying to to make the the level of complexity that they're working with with artificial intelligence match the intelligence of an actual child. Oh. So that moment of like pure learning where everything is uh, is an experience, they wanted to kind of um, unite that experience of just arriving in the world with their artificial current artificial intelligence complexity whoa um, that's so interesting like i had this amazing. swell of like i don't know feeling moved by that like i think because in a way like a robot is so innocent or something like you know they literally they don't like you kind of yeah they're like completely innocent i mean there, I think that something nice that I learned there is that uh, it's funny how people have this kind of like Pinocchio fantasy that at one point artificial intelligence will, will wake up and have its own consciousness mm -hmm. and take over humanity and, <laughs> and how that, that fear somehow pushes back the possibility of really experimenting with technology and mm. emotional technology. And the fact that in the end, it's all about trying to understand what makes you human. Right. It's not about the artificial baby replacing babies. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it makes me, there was a computer program, I think it came out in the 70s, like, where it would basically just like, it was kind of like a computer therapist, I guess. And it would just like, kind of repeat what you said as a question or something like, but people apparently felt really like helped by it and really enjoyed oh. using it. And um, <laughs> I thought it like, it's like so simple in a way, just this computer kind of seeming to be interested in what you're saying and kind of like giving it, it back fun. to you. 
Well, I, what I like there about their laboratory is that it was called symbiotic, uh, I think it was symbiotic cognition, artificial symbiotic cognition laboratory or something like that. So they, they involved themselves in their own uh, experimentation. It's not mm -hmm. that they were just developing a machine. They were exploring their own possibilities of what, what made them the baby the way it was and what made them human. So yeah. it's kind of like you also, you also make the therapist, mm -hmm. the therapist giving you therapy, no? It's, yeah. It's a symbiosis. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like, um, like what you were saying about the viewer kind of carrying the doll around, like, yeah, like it works both ways. Like you're also getting this unique vantage point into how people are experiencing your work just as much as they're getting this unique experience of the artist being there with them kind of. I, I think the doll allows me to become an artwork somehow. So the experience of being at the exhibition, it's an artistic experience, which is quite different that when you go to an exhibition and the artist is there by chance and you meet them and you speak a little bit. Yeah, it's often like, I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, sometimes the more, like, I feel like we're sometimes more real in our work than in regular life, or at least more <laughs> revealing or something. That's true. So you're yeah. kind of blending the, like, I feel like you're kind of, you're really putting yourself in it and putting your, I don't know, bearing yourself in a certain way. It's like uh, people who do sports. It's like the best way to meet them is when you're there, just perhaps playing tennis. <laughs> if mm -hmm. you remove the tennis, then it's like it's the avatar they construct somehow. So I think in arts, it's, it's the same thing. It's like the best way to meet an artist is when they're not themselves. Yeah, <laughs> when they're, yeah. I was, yeah, I thought it's like an avatar too, which I think, yeah, like sometimes the same thing could be too of like, I mean, I think there's um, like, there's a whole range of things of what being online can be, but in some ways I think people can be, are more honest or, you know, if there's an anonymity, they may say things they wouldn't say in, in small talk or something, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like a doing a, like a mask, like a latex mask of your own face and then putting it on. It's, yeah. like, it's not really me, but it's uh, me. So yeah. I can just expand my, uh, the way I am or mm -hmm. enhance. Yeah. What kind of, um, what kind of things would you talk about when you're with people? I had a lot of weird questions. And it was funny because sometimes the conversations were really 
become very intimate mm. as if they were kind of confessing how they felt during the lockdown and the pandemic and like so what started out like a funny cute game of like hey mm -hmm. i would say and because i would hear footsteps i could not see no <laughs> i would just and and i would say like hey so they would start perhaps perhaps having a conversation and then sometimes it got really really profound yeah that like when you were saying that it was like reminding me you did say the word confession i think but that's kind of like the premise of the confession booth too right that you can't actually like see each other's face totally i think that there's a uh, that there was something uh, relaxing about perhaps well i think the difference with confessing is that and i think the self doll is like they feel like they can really relax and be themselves and just say anything because they're not technically speaking to a human right they're talking to a i don't know like to a potato and it would be <laughs> the same so yeah there's no judgment in the end mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense even that being kind of this like smaller childlike figure i feel like often <laughs> people are kind of disarmed by like children or you know they don't feel like they have to impress a child or something yeah, that's a that's a good point. I've never thought of it in that way of like they didn't need to impress self doll or yeah they didn't need to have any you know like conversations didn't need to be intelligent or mm. amazing. They were just like what 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 is what was your favorite recipe <laughs> during lockdown mm -hmm. things like that. It sounds very enjoy like it sounds really special kind of way of breaching the divide kind of. Yeah, I think it was much more special than I thought it was going to be. Mm. And uh, I think it was interesting how children connected with self though, because most adults was would just start the conversation by saying, where are you really? <laughs> and I would say, I'm there with you. What do you mm -hmm. But then children would be like, hi, self though. Hi, how are you? I'm all good. How are you today? Good. <laughs> so things were like, okay, self though is self though. There's no, there's no trick. Like they would kind of test it out and then trust it. Is that? I think that they were not like expect uh, expecting the doll in terms of how does this work? Can you see? Mm. They were just like, okay, self doll has a voice and I can talk to it and it's fun. Right. They just like get it and then they kind of go with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you couldn't see them though, right? You could only hear them. Yeah, I could only hear them. Mm -hmm. No, I couldn't, I couldn't see anything. Yeah, like it does kind of, um, 
Well, it does kind of create this space where you're just connecting as kind of consciousness. I mean, I guess voice is a kind of embodiment, but it's more, it's less, it's like the least embodied way in some ways that you could like connect with someone. I think so. Yeah, you're right. It's like, because it's not the same talking to a voice that doesn't have a body. Yeah. And uh, it's not the same talking to a person that perhaps inside a, fern inside fur uh, hiding inside furniture. <laughs> so, yeah, I like what you said about the scale, that there's something about the scale that makes, makes people connect in a, perhaps in a more, simple and tender way with a doll that has a, the scale of a child. Yeah, I was thinking about that a bit when you were mentioning like using it before the show too. Like I wondered if you might be like kinder to the people or more empathetic to the people you were talking to, like. Mm, I, I think it was, it was fun to talk to my to my mom uh, just for half an hour mm -hmm. and take her to the kitchen or or sit her in the table i don't i think there's uh, there was yeah the interaction was different i don't know if i can really explain it yeah i think that perhaps lockdown made everything a lot more dramatic also Right, I could see that. Yeah, like I do feel like, yeah, I was super emotional earlier on and like crying a lot and stuff. And like, yeah, every, I mean, I want to keep in this, in a certain way, one thing I want to keep is like the kind of not taking any moments of connection for granted. Like, mm. you mean like, I don't know if I understand what you mean, like uh, not taking it from granted as something like, that could always be there. Just how, I mean, I guess I see that like our connections as like, yeah, we like you take for granted that you could see your friend anytime you want to, but like mm. how, and yeah, so you might not really, you know, take it that thoughtfully or, or I don't know. So then, but then I felt like I was so, um, so confronted with how, I mean, I feel like that's kind of everything, you know, like that's what makes life meaningful or something. And so I yeah. valued like every phone conversation or every time I saw someone like that was like kind of the main, I don't, it was like, yeah, I don't know. Like it was literally, I feel like keeping me alive or something. Mm, yeah, I think that a lot of things got uh, the value of affection and spending time with people and sharing things. Suddenly it was like, yeah, you're right that it was like, it's no, I cannot longer, I can't take this for granted now. Granted, yeah. uh, something completely changed. Um, 
do you think that kind of permeated or that kind of filtrated into the way art is? It's a, I don't know what place art, uh, what art, uh, what role art plays right now. Because it mm. used to be kind of a bridge between people, meeting people and hanging out. And but suddenly, I don't know where, where it is currently. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, like a lot of, most of the art spaces here are open, but it's definitely a really different experience of like seeing art and like there's not really openings per se, or at least not in the way they were. And that's another reason why I started the podcast actually to try to have some semblance of community or dialogue or something. But, um, and in some ways, like, going to an opening, you don't necessarily even have a deep conversation. Like often you have little mm. kind of mini conversations. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I definitely felt like when I was able to see art again in person, like that was super moving to me. And I also really felt like it made me value that like physical space. Like, I, I don't know, like I really... The experience of seeing art in person, I feel like, is something I really don't want to lose or, like, mm. I feel like, like, I don't know. It made me also, I mean, I think my work is a lot about physicality and sensual things, and I, and I don't intend for it to be seen online only, so it was just really moving to see art in person again, but I'm not sure how it's affected, like, the dynamics between the social connections of the art world. Uh, yeah, I think that perhaps everything is, is happening so fast that it's kind of hard to say yeah. how, to, how to stand in front of all of that. Yeah. And how everything just feels as if they, everything feels as if it's been kind of digitalized. Yeah. But with, I mean, I feel like your show seemed to like, I mean, it, and even though you couldn't, I don't, it felt like you were also kind of reaching towards trying to bring physicality, like that you can't, you've made a way that you can touch something that is like human, human-like and like, and... I didn't want to speculate with the idea that people were not going to see the show. Mm -hmm. that that was, I didn't like that because there's something that I feel that's in the air right now that how can we make a show that can be fully digital? But I think it's, I think it was nice not to even speculate with that and just directly think like, okay, I have to be there anyhow, even if it's one person seeing the exhibition a day. Mm-hmm. If I'm lucky, and uh, yeah, I think that that somehow in the end is really I don't I don't know. I think it's very rewarding in the end to even if I have one conversation with one person a week, then it all makes sense to me because otherwise it's just like I wouldn't know how to speculate with with the pandemic right now. That's yeah. what I feel like the doll was created even before the pandemic started, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really cool. Like, I feel like it's like synchronicity or something. 
And yeah, like yeah. you said, like one, even one conversation like that could have made someone's week or, or your week or whatever, like, you know. Yeah, there was a lot of really interesting conversations. Sorry, I have to try to plug in my computer as I'm, mm. <laughs> um, but there was a, there was one conversation about uh, how, how um, if I thought that, that's, or if I felt that at a certain point, the pandemic made me feel like a child again, mm. you have those kind of fears that the same fear that you had when you had a fever that if it was like, oh God, no, this is never going to end. Yeah. It's going to go on forever and it's terrifying. And I think that conversation was really like, wow, really amazing. But in the end, it was like, okay, thank you for coming to see my show. Have a nice life. I remember the person told me, wow. I was like, yeah, you too. Because <laughs> it was a... It was really profound, but at the end, it was like, it was very anonymous. I had no idea who I spoke with. Right. It was just a voice. And I think that was very magical. Yeah. It's like kind of like a one night stand or something. <laughs> it was kind of um, like, are you really human? Are you there? or? It felt like a, I don't, yeah, no, it was one, one specific conversation with, I have no idea who it was, that it felt like I was talking to almost like a deity. Whoa. Yeah, yeah that's what was, I was thinking. Like, it's very, like, yeah, like talking to God or something. There were, yeah, there were a lot of fun moments. But then there were moments that were, were like, uh, I, today is Saturday and this really changed my day, this conversation with this complete stranger. Today? No. Uh, no, that, that um, uh, I think it was oh. two, two Saturdays ago. Uh-huh. Um, that, yeah, no, that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be self-taught today and perhaps I'll have fun and they'll have some weird questions. But then suddenly I spent like an hour talking to a person that I didn't know who it was that felt like a deity. Wow. Hmm. That's really cool. I mean, I feel like um, I was like reviewing your work on your website. And I mean, it's cool. Something cool is that I've known you for a very long time and I kind of feel like yeah. we met just as you were really starting your career kind of, but even at that time, like I feel like spirituality was a real thread through a lot of it. And, and also the idea of like community and connection and stuff. And um, yeah. Yeah. We met in 2006. It was yeah. the first time I was in the U S yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that uh, uh, there was there were a lot of points in common between our works and the way we were kind of experiencing life at, at that time. Yeah, they totally. Really interesting. But uh, I know. I feel like actually we met very through like weird circumstances. Like I never actually. 
I never could figure out how you got my email, like, cause I didn't, I don't think we actually knew anybody in common. It was, I was in, in Austin and uh -huh. I was going to New York and a friend of a friend there told me like, yeah, I can help you looking Craigslist. Mm -hmm. Oh, Craigslist. <laughs> Okay, but like, yeah, think, it was, yeah, but then I don't, but then we did know people in common later, and I don't know, like, it was just like I, a weird small world kind of thing. I think after, yeah, no, after I went to Skohia in 2006, then we, there were, there, like, a lot of, like, dots connected. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, I don't know, it was like, like, we don't. I mean, I, I don't know, you, you have so much work and I feel like I know like the early work and the more recent work kind of better than the middle work. But I know, I know, I mean, we also connected during your Timeless Alex piece and stuff like. Yeah, exactly. oh, I forgot that. Yeah, which I love. I have this photo of me wearing your turtle costume <laughs> that I love. <laughs> um, right. So I don't know, there's a lot of things we can talk about, but I was revisiting some of that early work and even like one of your very first major pieces was like literally kind of like a like a small church like space that you built for Mormons, is that right? Uh, yeah, that was kind of like the first work that involved inviting visitors and inviting Mormons basically I just uh, like some Mormons knocked on my door in my house and I was like wait do you need a place to preach and they were like yeah why not <laughs> so, like follow me so uh, we went into this um, art program that I was doing then and I showed them this kind of like pagoda in the forest kind of shelter that I was trying to build and they were mm. like yeah maybe it could be interesting if you can gather some of your colleagues and we can explain uh, what it's to be a Mormon. Mm -hmm. So that was the first kind of experiment that I did with performance and audience and working with someone that's completely outside the field of art. Yeah. Do you feel like they were um, pleased with the results? Like. I think that there was something about that uh, the the rest of the artists that were there they were so like uh, overwhelmed with the idea of of the being inside an artwork and and hearing the speech of the Mormons that everyone was really paying attention to them mm. and I felt like in Argentina that everyone was like no, thank you. You can just knock on the next door. So, oh, like they, they didn't. They felt. Oh, they didn't like the religious component or something. I think they were overwhelmed with it, and mm. but since the artwork was kind of swallowing the religious component mm. of the Mormons, it was difficult to say where to separate the artwork from the Mormons and the religious component. So. Right. It was a very thin line that no yeah. one knew where to where to stand or how to deal with it. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, 
it's tricky, I think. But I feel like, yeah, you've like, it feels like you've worked with a lot of other people and non-art people and like tried to kind of meet them as equals or something or actually give them something that would be helpful in some way. Yeah. And I always I, treated them like colleagues. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think is what works about it. Like that, it, I feel like some of that work can be very condescending and kind of pompous or something, but I feel that there's a real sense of like, yeah, like equanimity between you and the people you work with, or even, even that mm -hmm. you're like being helped by it too, like kind of like you were saying before of like symbiosis and stuff. Um, I, I feel like at certain point, there's two works happening at once because they are not being judged, but at the same time, from one point of view, you have like this idea that it's an artwork that includes a religious uh, belief. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, the religious belief is also observing, this is an art, I'm, uh, I'm preaching inside an artwork and or not judging people I have worked with that most of, most of the times they, there's a lot of prejudice around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like they don't want to be, they don't want to become like kind of like zoo animals or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, no, and no, I was honestly trying to bond with their, their practice and their nature and their way of being and their, uh, their kind of, their way of moving in the world because it also allowed me to learn about what I was trying to do and what it meant to be an artist. So yeah, that from within the art world, I was like, uh, I don't have any re real references of what an artist is. Yeah, that's which I think is what's also what is good about your work. Like I don't, I feel like there's a genuine like curiosity and a like a you don't have an agenda of how it's gonna turn out or what it has to be in the end. Like, I feel like you're kind of like a a real like explorer or an inventor where you're actually just, you set up something and then see what happens kind of. Yeah, I think that I never knew exactly how it works would end, but I felt that that somehow made the work have a life of its own. So, yeah, I enjoy when I see art that it looks like they arrived at something that they were not really expecting. Yeah. And, and it's like a, like a treasure that he discovered by mistake somehow. But yeah. They were looking for it. It's interesting to just like watch the trajectory of your work because I feel like there's a lot that there's a lot that's kind of there throughout it, but there's also like so much like you work very project based. So there's so many different kind of like tangents of and different forms it takes. And I feel like it kind of like I mean, I think like I think 
I kind of feel like you're, don't you have an architecture background too? I studied architecture for a year and then- Oh, only for that. a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But I do feel like somehow like it comes into play in the, or at least the impulse of like creating a space or a situation rather than like an object or something. I, yeah, I think that what I like about ar architecture is that they have to deal with real people living in the whatever they do, and they have to real with deal with real weather. Right. So there's this kind of like skin that separates the outside from the inside. Mm. That it's always like a mute. I don't know. Adjusting to if it's raining and the mood of the person and what they're hanging on the walls. So there's something very alive about architecture that I always liked. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. And it's like, it actually like deals with living on a day-to-day -day basis. And yeah, like the reality of people's lives and whether it will actually function for them or not. It's like the the house of the snail. Mm. It's, it's truly there for a function that is very vital. So you can speculate to a the certain point, but then there's a moment where it's like it really has to provide a an actual shelter for for a living being. Yeah, and artwork sometimes can has the ability of perhaps neglecting all of that and just saying this is what it is it's yeah. okay if no one sees it right totally it's a sculpture in the middle of the woods it's fine too yeah like it could just be anything and no one has to see it or care about it or whatever which there's like validity to that way of doing things too or i don't know like I feel like you want to build relationships in your work. I think it's kind of creating a story that in the end is, it's not too, it's not, it's not there because of our philosophy. It's there because there was, there were elements like asking to go in one direction or another mm. that I had to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. but it, um yeah there's a time component and an, an affection component to the work that i think it's uh, it's nice to it's nice to feel that because in the end it's all about the experience mm -hmm. i do i feel like even though i i mean i do feel like you're a very like intellectually curious person or I don't like you actually ask questions and and are not necessarily knowing the answer to them and um another kind of facet of your work that has always been there and which I always like was very wowed by was your drawings and like it seems like you can create like this endless amount of drawings and they're all very like I don't know, just stream of consciousness and stuff. And I'm wondering like how, I wonder if they're just their own thing or if they somehow initiate these larger projects. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering how they relate to the other work and 
what what they do for you i think that what i like uh, what i like most about drawing is that it allows me to do like a fictional projects that perhaps they're not even they don't make any sense perhaps no but mm -hmm. um they're i don't know there's some kind sometimes they act like oracles somehow because i've done drawings like perhaps 10 or 15 years ago that i go and see back and i'm like ah this is exactly what mm. i did and so i i think it, there's something really powerful about drawing that i can still i'm still trying to understand that mm -hmm. it's very it's very much like drawings made in caves perhaps fifty thousand years ago that if you're drawing it on a piece of paper somehow you're kind of creating it so you're having certain like amount of control over this tiny universe for a moment mm -hmm. where you can just do anything there's no loss right yeah and it feels like yeah you kind of take advantage of that like it's like they're so they do they feel like inventions or something like they don't necessarily like even look exact like i feel like they can they're very varied in what what is actually happening in them or like where you go with them. Mm. I mean, you've tied all these different like materials too in the, like there were like the baked yeah, drawings true. and all that. And... The edible drawings. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I think there's something about drawing that in the end is like, it feels very like connected to metabolism or at least it feels like it's, like a way of like being able to materialize very abstract emotions and thoughts that you can I, that I cannot even express and mm. uh, yeah it's always I think it's always weird somehow how when I see drawings I'm like ah but this was inside my head at one point mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm kind of like a printer and this is uh, this is what comes out but right. when i went went to to meet this uh, the director of the robotics society i i asked him about drawings what he thought about drawings and if he if he thought that like those very early drawings and caves had like a any role in the development of like consciousness in terms of like if I'm able to draw an animal, that's because I'm different from the animal. You can, mm. you can put yourself. And he said like, yeah, but you need matricity also. <laughs> you can make a lot of bad drawings. And I thought that he made a really good point in terms of like, it's not that you're just drawing anything on paper and it's a drawing. It really has to capture something from the world and and really mm. printed there mm -hmm. and that requires a lot of physical matricity also matricity um matricity is like like physical coordination oh yeah coordination uh-huh yeah 
like uh, fine skill motricity is called when children start to really draw mm. what they see. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well, it's a really kind of it's cool. It's a real yeah, like mind body connection like it is a very kind of yeah physicalization of that mind body connection. Uh, yeah, there's it's like yeah, like just trying to materialize what you have in your mind. So if you're thinking of a mountain, you really need to feel that you drew a mountain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of mysteries around drawing that I'm still trying to grasp. And yeah. It seems very simple, but then it's, it gets more tricky as you, as I explore it somehow. Yeah, totally. I mean, it feels like kind of elemental to your work and like, it is like, you know, even if if we both drew a mountain, like our mountains would probably look really different, you know, or like how big we put them on the page or what, what perspective or all of those choices, which maybe are unconscious would like really have a lot of information in a way about your mind or something. Yeah, that's true. But do you think at a certain point that when you're making a painting or a drawing that ideally you're trying to make like a, to make it feel alive? <laughs> like I always think of a lot of yeah, like, like it's ending a drawing and then the drawing becoming fully animated and alive. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what I I feel like I'm making a really good drawing when I kind of forget myself when I'm like totally present in the moment like that and that feels like the most like me or something too like I'm when I'm not when I when I'm not self-conscious about what I'm doing like I'm kind of not trying to do something cool mm. but I'm just like I'm like there's no difference between me and the drawing it's a nice it's nice when that separation blurs and then it's like there's a raw inversion mm. sometimes yeah like the drawing is feels like the drawing is taking control of itself yeah exactly like that's um which then I'm like, sometimes I want to make a painting from a drawing, but I feel very conflict. Like, I don't want to copy it. Like, I feel like that, like, does a disservice to the drawing. Like, I just want to make a painting that feels that fluid or something. But I do somehow feel like it's easier for me to do it in drawing than other, I don't know. There's something just, something like also very, I'm, I'm so relaxed when I'm drawing and I don't, care if it works or not or works or not you know yeah <laughs> but which often makes it work better or something yeah no it's 
it's a, the most primordial thing to do no it's like you're just mm -hmm. holding something and drawing there's yeah. no plan and there's no it feels really natural and it's weird how all children draw i know it's, yeah and it's so like yeah that's what i was gonna say actually how like it's just a most children just love to draw and they totally take to it without any like self-consciousness and they just yeah intuitively do whatever they feel like doing yeah they but it really plays a really important role then. but it's funny to never stop drawing no Mm -hmm. just, you see all children draw and then you see how only like perhaps two out of ten keep, keep drawing their whole whole life and they live out of it but then most of them just see it as a i don't know like they just keep drawings when they were four yeah they don't draw anymore i know i don't i wonder I feel like I've had people, if they like talk to someone who's not an artist I'll, and I like talk about being an artist, they'll be like, oh, I was never good at that or I could never do that or something. You know, they like immediately feel very like inadequate or un, or that it's like some other magical thing that they're like can't do. And it's strange how much like because, yeah, I feel like at some point they probably did it very freely but maybe and maybe adults often hold themselves to the idea that it should look like reality or something like that yeah no that's a really really powerful observation of like what people perhaps expect out of being a professional artist that is <laughs> like that they always bring it back to when they were kind of five and then they abandon drawing because they didn't feel they were good at it but yeah i mean i think maybe i mean it's cool that you work with so many non-artists and i wonder if they if you find that people are like open to like experiencing what you do as art or even open to participating in art like do you have to like kind of like hold people like are people want are like excited about it or are they intimidated by it i feel like I, most of the times that it, when i'm approaching someone that perhaps is not so interested in art or perhaps it's like a universe that feels completely outside of them that they're kind of cautious with the idea of being used mm -hmm. or make me or yeah almost like a hidden camera paranoia yeah from the 90s that kind of shows mm -hmm. and um, i think then it then it's kind of like impossible not to do an artwork with someone that perhaps is not really into art without becoming friends with them at mm -hmm. a certain point so I think like friendship plays an important role and because also I'm like if there's no true intrigued or there's no yeah there's no real intrigue about what an artist is from that person then then nothing happens also it's like a mutual moment of knowing each other mm, yeah that's a really good 
point because yeah if you are just looking at them as kind of like a tool to make your I like concept then they're gonna totally they are gonna feel used so yeah like it it feels like you do have to sincerely care about them or want to know them yeah it's it's weird because like in all the works that I've done that they were perhaps contexts in which they were not expecting an artist to arrive with a proposition then it was not it was impossible not to become like really like their moment like a, the moment of doing the experience or creating the work having like this intensity like emotional intensity of like we're doing something that we're not really sure what we're doing but that is working on both on both ends no and, yeah. and then it's impossible not to to develop a friendship mm -hmm. but then once the artwork is somehow done, I realized that there's something about the artwork that it uh, that kind of created that moment and created that rich where like this kind of magical friendship happened. Mm. And when after it's done and it's perhaps shown or then it feels like, like a like an emptiness, where the friendship is no longer. It was it's just like if the tool that made everything ha uh, possible became somehow like an object and it's there, and then this this kind of awkward emptiness. Yeah, I could see that. It's like you the the art is what you bond through this process. So like, yeah, when yeah. it's not there, it's maybe less that there's less of a excuse to kind of connect or something yeah there's this awkwardness of uh, then you it's like going back to the the beginning of of everything mm -hmm. which is always weird because i always feel some guilt in in that kind of void like you should kind of you you would like to you have a fantasy of maintaining more relationships with the people that you kind of encountered and stuff um i think that then then there's a certain expectation or or fantasy re, in regard to are you going to be able to come back to i don't know to polynesia like once a year to visit us mm. and, and i'm like i wish i could but then I feel like some sort of uh, guilt in terms of like, I've created this bond and I'm not sure how I'll, I'll be able to sustain it over time. Why? Uh, no, but then like a year goes by and then like the whole energy of the work kind of like smoothens and uh, then, then, we, then the connection becomes like, wow, that was uh, really fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. hope you're doing really well hope you're doing well too yeah but then there's not this kind of feeling that um i should stay and live there right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is weird yeah that makes sense there's like a there's like a, a maybe like feeling out of what responsibility you have to each other in the long term and maybe it often is only intended to be a kind of temporary or yeah like, exactly 
Yeah. That's kind of difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. And most of the words that I work with, where I just arrived and I say, hey, do you want to help me do this idea that I have that is check throwing itching coins into the ocean? <laughs> and perhaps you can ask a question to the ocean. And then <laughs> there's a moment of trust that has to be built. Yeah. And then it's then it's kind of like, ah, but where do we go from now after throwing itching coins in the ocean? It's like yeah. a strange void. Mm -hmm. I mean, and kind of in your trajectory as an artist, you're always like gonna you're not gonna do this one project and definitely you're gonna kind of take what you learned and then like go on to the next thing kind of i'm trying to learn to be more like a like a spider to be able to feel like that connection is invisible and it remains and it will remain over the years and i guess that how that's how kind of like movie directors feel when they go to a location mm -hmm. and spend a long time there creating a movie and then at a certain point they have to leave and show the movie and they leave behind like all these people that trusted them and provided like an energy to create something. Mm -hmm. But no, I think in, in the end, like the energy remains somehow yeah exactly i mean you were on some level even if it's a small way like you were both changed by it or you know if both uh, like the if the both ends of the story are happy then the artwork is the manifestation of that connection remaining in time mm -hmm. so. yeah right like i mean even the impulse to make art, I think, is like in a way related to like immortality or wanting to make something that lasts, even though like mm -hmm. our lives are very ephemeral and subject to change all the time. But so, yeah, like the documentation of it or whatever, whatever actually transpired is like the, the thing that lasts. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, death. <laughs> it's always yeah. there with everything somehow. Yeah. Maybe that's a good segue to talk about Timeless Alex, actually, and the idea of, like, this turtle that lives longer than humans. Is that kind of the thing? Depending on the turtle, they can, if it's the kind of the pinta turtle that, they are at the um, located in the Galapagos Island. They can live up to almost two hundred years. Damn. <laughs> so I think that, like for example, the one of the turtles that Darwin met in one of the first trips he did there to the Galapagos Islands, and was still alive, like not long ago. Wow. Yeah. So they're really, they're kind of magical in uh, the way that they can travel through time or like I, when I was trying to do that work, I was thinking like if I 
think like a turtle or act like a turtle or try to be a turtle where I reach like a that kind of timeless moment that perhaps you reach during meditation. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're just just there, no? And there's no there's no space time moving around you. Yeah. Do you feel like you were able to achieve some of that turtle mindset? It may sound weird, but I feel like I achieved it only like for 15 seconds or something like that. Because there was a moment where I was, because I kept constantly kept thinking, if I'm a turtle, I'm not performing because mm. turtles don't perform. So I, yeah. I remember someone told me that if you get hypnotized to become a chicken, it's a, uh, actually a chicken becoming a human mm. so uh, that you open like a gate that is equivalent for w both worlds no mm -hmm. and when i was kind of becoming uh, timeless alex at one point i felt like i had this really strange confusion in my mind where i was like what am i right now uh, like a complete uh, lost, um, like I, I could not uh, grasp anything of what was going on, but it felt like this, this, this as if it, everything made sense to be inside that shell and trying mm -hmm. to become a turtle. Because <laughs> there's always this idea of like, when do things make sense for me, no? perhaps from an audience perspective they make sense but uh, then there's like this experience of like saying ah this makes sense this is i really feel like a turtle and i'm really i'm really confused i might be a turtle right now yeah that's so interesting um so maybe just for our listeners i'll just fill in a little that like so you made this kind of life-size turtle costume and I was going to maybe be the turtle, but then I was freaked out by it. So you ended up being the turtle in this like six yeah. hour, was it six hour performance of kind of crawling on the rooftop? Uh, yeah, there, I think the original idea was to have to be the turtle for six hours, mm -hmm. but then, then things became a bit more realistic and it was three hours yeah fortunately not six yeah but we yeah i remember you that. tried the whole shell and everything and it seemed like i should take the full responsibility of this <laughs> that's what i remember thinking at one point right well i feel like i didn't yeah i feel like we both didn't quite realize how physically like intense yeah. it was gonna be like but it was even just wearing the tur the shell was kind of like I feel like I had to put my body in a slightly weird position or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, it was quite an endurance piece, even at three hours. I feel like, but as a I did yeah. get to view it and I found it very moving, even though it is very like inter. I don't know. It it did have a real presence to it, even though you could say not a lot was happening you know you know i don't know there was something that a kind of yeah like a power or something even though in terms of like performance you could say it was very 
uneventful or but but I think one one would think one could kind of feel what it might be like to imagine themselves in the shell there with you or something I think it's so absurd the idea of trying to really be a turtle that yeah the impossibility is also (laughs) a it kind of forces you to look for a meaning behind that like a true meaning and not just like am I really doing this for performing for an audience or I'm doing this like physically am I really believing that I'm a turtle or or is this just and yeah there was something that it looked like a costume but in the end it was kind of like trying to think the shell as a portal or a vehicle something something beyond the the act of just trying to be in a costume no yeah and i feel like there was something powerful about that like slippage of the back in some ways you did really look like a turtle and in other ways you could totally tell that you were not a turtle you know like yeah like you could kind of hold both of those feelings at the same time or something and also like just like feel some the intensity of what it must be like to be enacting that performance I think like the audience like has no choice but to feel empathetic. Yeah. Just like otherwise it's like, yes, we know that you're a human being. We know that you're not a real turtle. For a moment you look like a real turtle, but <laughs> once you get over that initial kind of absurdity, then you have to walk into another territory that is completely kind of unknown. Yeah. Um, that makes it a little bit uh, magical, at least for me, inside yeah. the turtle. <laughs> yeah, like, I think also, again, there's like a little bit of a sense of humor. Like, I feel like there's all this like endurance art in the 70s, but people were like hurting themselves and being super intense. And it's definitely, I mean, I remember you saying how like fucked up you were physically from doing it, <laughs> yeah. but it's also like very absurd and funny in a way. <laughs> I think it's a very absurd proposition. It really felt like I broke my neck for a week. But yeah, I think the proposition is so absurd that it makes it like very fragile and very vulnerable. It's like, yeah. And uh, it also, it's like, okay, if you either believe that I'm a turtle or not, there's no many much there's no there aren't any that many choices yeah there's something like um there's like something kind of innocent about it too like it it does feel like an idea that a child would have or something like i'm gonna be a turtle and like i don't know but then you actually do it with like others other kind of rigor or seriousness or something (laughs) there's something very fragile about childhood in terms of if a child says, okay, I'm going to transform into a dog. Mm. And if you don't play along with it, or you don't believe that it's truly transforming into a dog when when he's saying, or he, she's saying that there's a transformation, then it really puts you in a place of like, 
what is my system of belief if I cannot believe that there's a dog right now in the room? Yeah. There's, um, yeah, there's something really fragile about the transformations that when you play along with them, they get a lot more serious that they, they look like. I think almost, yeah, I think most of the, the works that I've done since 2010 on, they imply like uh, becoming either a turtle or the wind or the, yeah. Yeah, there's a moment where it's just like, do I really believe in what I'm doing? Or it's just like, it's just like doing art, trying to do art professionally. Mm. So there, then there's this duality of like, I really have to believe that I'm transforming into a turtle. Then otherwise this, nothing makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I mean, I feel like as a viewer of your work, it does feel like you're able to maintain that like sincerity or like, like you really believe in what you're doing. It's not just to do like a gesture or a conceptual whatever or something like it that you have a real integrity with it, I guess, would be a way of saying it. Just, there's a moment where, uh, like, kind of like, it doesn't matter if you, if you really do it or you're not really doing it, because no one really cares. It feels like that somehow, sometimes, <laughs> no? But then if you really do it, then it makes a lot more sense as an artist. Right. And then, I can kind of feel free that I'm not worried about a career and all those things because I'm just a turtle in that moment. And it's like a really like, okay, this makes everything worth it. Otherwise, if I'm not truly believing that I'm a turtle and I say I do this professionally, then it's like too, <laughs> too weird <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of like a turn towards like animals and nature and stuff at a certain point. And there's like a lot of like costumes and like, I don't know, almost like a theatrical or dance kind of, maybe dance is the wrong word, but some this kind of theatricality. But uh, I feel like that makes it sound kind of like artificial I don't know yeah just like a lot of like costumes or and animals and things for me I think like those those kind of elements that I have to do or people put on or they have to really act as kind of tools that allow these users to really feel that they're going through a transformation, no? Mm -hmm. That they can do a choreography by following the clouds or, mm. or do a choreography following the direction of the wind. But there's a moment where those elements are not re uh, representing, they're not uh, props. They're really uh, there to generate an experience that allows you to have a communion with whatever you're trying to be, you know? Yeah, um, that makes sense. Like in a way, 
like, yeah, I mean, it's like ritualistic or it's, um, uh, well, in a way, just like one knows they're putting on a costume and that it is kind of artificial, but that it, yeah, somehow liberates a person to not be themselves or not be so like, um, attached to this idea of who they are or something. I think that at, at one point you can really feel that liberation, but um, with almost anything that you, you can feel that liberation, but by putting like a, almost like a mental costume on also. Yeah. But then, then in order to, to become a horse, then you need a kind of ephemeral transformation that I think the costumes provide that, the, the possibility of believing that you can be a horse. Yeah. And not, not about like liberating yourself, more like, can I be something I'm not? Right. Taking on a different, mm, taking on a different form. I think that costumes have like um are more like uh, when I the, I feel like the word costume for me it is more about hiding than transforming mm. and and I think like the I always feel like in the end all the works are more about how to how to perhaps spiritually, even though the word may not be the right one, to connect with the wind, for example, mm. or with or with being a horse or talking to a volcano. Mm -hmm. That in the end, it's very very ephemeral, and it's just like a moment where you either believe in it or not. It's quite. Mm. I don't know. I think it's quite simple in the end. Yeah. Which maybe I think is why it works. Like it's it's kind of um yeah, it's not overload like in a way you're just doing this thing kind of with sincerity and not and it actually does touch on all these like bigger things, but you're not overloading it or necessarily even at like asking it to or something. It's open to failure also. Because if it's, it's not open to, to failure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it may not work and it's fine if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, it's not fine for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine for the work. <laughs> right. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't really make that kind of belief or mag magical moment of like, this is really, there's something different in the air happening with this kind of human turtle. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. If it, if it fails, it's fine. But that's something that I think that, keeps the work somehow alive. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, there's a real risk or involved kind of. Yeah. Is there a is there a specific project that you feel like was a failure or would you just not would you like scrap it rather than show it or how do you know at what point would you find out it's a failure I think that the work that I did in, in 2016 in Mexico City at the Tamasho Museum called Optopia that is like this 80 dancers transforming into an octopus mm -hmm. and I when that opened, I felt like that was a big, big, like a, uh, the, like a really embarrassing failure. Not because that I, I wasn't sure about the work because I never felt like it was happening in the right conditions that I ideally imagined it. Mm. And that was really uh, like a million, yeah, no, it was like a really heavy load on my head because I was like, I wanted this to last much longer and be enough inside the space. Like mm. it was uh, the scale of the work made it really difficult to to keep pushing the production into like the right frames, no? Yeah. So in the end, that felt like what? Uh, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> is this like a what the hell is this? How is this? How is it? this come together I don't know. Mm -hmm. so it just became kind of compromised from what you had hoped it would be i think it i would redo that work again mm -hmm. but in a different having a lot more control over how long it lasted and the location mm -hmm the way it would be documented, the way the audience could reach the Octopia. Mm -hmm. mm, I completely lost control at one point in the work and which it, it was fine. It was really difficult to coordinate 80 dancers. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's like, now it sounds crazy for me to do. I don't know how that happened. So like a lot of the, a lot of, like, I feel like you started working with more like people performing in your work at a certain point, but then like, so like the Timeless Alex one you did yourself and the, um, the recent one, the self doll is yourself was the, the volcano one is also like you actually being the kind of, mm person enacting the work. Um, do you want to talk about that one a little bit? Um, that work was in 2014 in Ecuador for, uh, for the Viano uh, at uh, Cuenca, a town in, in Ecuador. And when they invited me, I immediately thought like I want to do something with a volcano. I have no idea what to have a way of collaborating with a volcano and doing doing some collages that they're affected by the sulfur of the volcano. Mm. So then I did a lot of ideas that I drew that they were very ambitious and were very stupid. Mm -hmm. in many ways and i'm happy that none of them none of those came true mm -hmm. but in the end 
I work with a volcanologist to find like an active volcano that it was possible to reach the crater. Mm. And uh, I also work with a professional mountain climber and a like a mountain climber photographer. Mm -hmm. And I did the, the first trip to to actually see what the crater was and reach the places where all the fumaroles emit all the sulfur. And then two weeks later, I created a fireproof suit and a basket that contained these collages that reacted to sulfur. Mm -hmm. So we did the trip again and then I documented just reaching these really hot fumaroles emitting sulfur and leaving the, the collages there for a while, almost like a way of having the volcano use a typewriter somehow. Mm -hmm. So then that, that was it. It was trying to do a work where instead of me going to the landscape and measuring things and same like, I don't know, like a painter would go into landscape and paint or a geologist would measure. I wanted to do an experience that it was completely uncertain. Yeah. And could also happen, could also be that the sulfur did not affect the collages or the drawings and that was fine too. Mm. Yeah, it's like plein air painting or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> Did you feel a sense of like danger or just, um, or was it pretty certain that it wouldn't erupt or anything? It was quite certain, but not impossible because it, it erupted like 15 years ago mm -hmm. out of nothing. So mm -hmm. no, it was quite tricky walking out of the crater because that was like seven hours. And then when we were walking out, we got lost and it was raining and it's really high altitude. So there were moments where I was like, I cannot make this like, mm. and so the guy, the mountain climber told me like, if you're not able to walk out, we'll have to call a helicopter. Yeah. And it's going to be very expensive because <laughs> you'll have to pay for the helicopter. And so I remember he said, like, you are the volcano. You can do it. You're the volcano. And I don't, I don't know how. I remember eating a muffin without removing the paper at one point almost because <laughs> I was kind of like hallucinating from the, the lack of air. And the heat probably too must have been intense. No, there, it wasn't. It was kind of. It was really cold. Oh, really? That was, that, that was the worst. Yeah. Oh, but the okay. the lack of air was really oh, difficult. Just the elevation. But yeah, like four thousand like, airs. A heat-proof suit, though, right? I only used it when I approached the drawings to oh. the four worlds. Mm -hmm. That's cool. <laughs> but no there wasn't any real danger there was a lot of scary moments mm -hmm. especially when we got lost and i was like okay if we got lost and you're a professional mountain climber yeah and you're somehow 
relying on any expertise of my coming from me we're all dead <laughs> do you feel do you feel like you were able to like um translate those that emotional part of it into the work in some way i think it remains kind of like a question mm -hmm. if it was really possible or not which mm -hmm. i i kind of like because i've seen other works by artists who've done things with volcanoes but i think that they were in the end they were really kind of control freaks about where they wanted the work to the place they wanted the work to reach mm. and i think if you see the work it's quite it's quite uh, simple it's just like these tiny collages mm -hmm. that when you see them you're kind of disappointed you're like <laughs> but i think there was that was a nice contrast uh, in regard of the scale of the whole project no mm -hmm. yeah Not i feel doing... like it's kind of like cinematic or something but it happens like in your mind like i feel like it it also reminds me of a like there's a herzog documentary where he goes to mm. like an active volcano which i like a lot and i felt like some it always reminded me of that in a way of like I must feel like he hoped it would erupt in his case or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, they evacuated the town and there was only like one guy that stayed around or something. I think that came out like in 2000, the end of 2015, that documentary. Oh, I uh, think another one, because there's one from like the 70s where he, but he was getting into that kind of vibe of like really intense, like nature and stuff like that. I haven't seen that one. No, I've only seen the one that's where they have a lot of footage and they interview people, but mm. um, I have to see that one. Yeah, I might, I might, it might be on YouTube. I'll try to see if I can find it. But I, I like his 70 stuff better than his more recent stuff because it does feel like he was really like putting everything on the line kind of and doing really insane stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think that the world was different back then and people were just, I'm going to just uh, move this boat. Yeah, in exactly. this mountain, and they were like, "Okay, good luck." Yeah, <laughs> and he was really happy to just try to do that. Now, now, yeah, that would never go down. Now, <laughs> no, <laughs> not without like endless crews and insurance and all this like lawyers. Lawyers, yeah. yes. <laughs> Amazing coffee in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mac computers. Mm -hmm. Super helicopters. Yeah, no. <laughs> he really, he really experimented with his limits. I know. That's what I always admired about him. He really like. He really challenged himself, and he would like never give up. Like I mean, like, yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I know. It's like he played that role and 
he played it really well. He was, he's another character in his yeah, exactly. His own movie. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like he's more like doing a parody of himself almost, or just like it's almost like such a character that it's like lost its whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you see the last shows of Elvis that it looks like caricature of himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's I haven't seen the last things he, last documentaries or movies he's done. Someone sent me a link to one and I like, I only watched like 15 minutes because I got bored of it. <laughs> I think he's, he's old. I think it's, it's cool that he doesn't <laughs> fall inside a volcano and die. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have anything to prove. He can do whatever he wants at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Even if he does like a kitten documentary, it would be still be amazing. Yeah, totally. Actually, I would rather see that. Like, a yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a nice Hearth of movie. Yeah. <laughs>